Hello everyone and welcome to episode 372 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. I'm Seth, probably better known as Zafrod Olive, and we have the full crew here this week kicking things off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How are you this fine Monday, Richard? Hey Seth, doing well. It's that time of the year where I'm like, is it COVID or is it allergies? So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hopefully, hopefully it's just allergies. I'll be, I'll be rooting for the allergies. But yeah, it is, it is that time of year starting to feel a little springish. Uh, finally, the snow is starting to melt, uh, here in upstate New York. So exciting. But we got another co-host in Krim. Good morning, Krim. How are you today? Uh, pretty much completely terrible because of the allergies i i get the worst allergies ever so there's just like a a constant feeling of like somebody driving a knuckle in my like temples so uh yeah you know business as usual every year so that doesn't sound uh especially fun honestly well hopefully hopefully it'll be a good allergy season (laughs) yeah Anyway, today on the podcast, we got a couple of, of big topics. We had the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Championship yesterday, which is kind of the equivalent of a pro tour these days. Uh, and it was pretty interesting. So we want to talk a little bit about that. And then we're back in spoiler season by surprise for Alchemy, the Kamigawa edition of Alchemy started yesterday during the tournament. So we want to talk about some of the new Alchemy cards and then, of course, answer your fish mail. So that's the plan for today. Before we get into it, a reminder that our show today is brought to you by Card Conduit. And we've been telling you about Card Conduit, a great way to sell your magic collection and their curated shipment service that lets you sell your valuable cards with a reduced service fee for a while now. As long as your cards have a retail value of $2 or more, you can send in as many as you want and still just pay a 5% fee. Like with all of Card Conduit services, you don't gotta sort your cards or grade your cards. You get to skip over all those hassles and just safely package everything up and ship them out. And you'll even get a detailed report with the results so you can check out Card Conduit's curated shipment option as a way to buy list cards with fast processing, optimized prices, and the low, low service fee of just 5%. And you can even get another 10% off by going to cardconduit.com slash mtggoldfish. Card Conduit, they're the easiest way to sell your magic cards. So thank you so much to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And let's talk some magic. Let's start with the Kamigawa Neon Dynasty Championship. So did either of you guys get to to catch any of this over the weekend, the the coverage of the tournament? Uh, I did not know it was happening, nor existed. <laughs> That's an issue. <laughs> Wizard should fix that part of things. So people actually know. I heard other people say that as well. <laughs> I, I, whoops. I, I did. I did actually catch a little bit of it, but only day one. I didn't get to see much of like anything afterwards. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I watched it on and off on day one and day two while I was doing other stuff. So it was kind of going in the background. And then I actually watched most of the top eight yesterday. And I gotta say, I was, I was actually like shocked by not the gameplay itself, but how good the coverage was. Uh, I know. <laughs> It's kind of a tradition when Wizards does a big tournament. Then we do a podcast and talk about all the things that Wizards did wrong with coverage. In this case, I got to give Wizards a lot of credit because I actually thought this was some of the best coverage that they had ever, ever put together. Like things were snappy. There were no long delays between matches. They had kind of interesting between match content, some, you know, kind of like cheesy questions about magic cards and stuff, but still there was good filler content when they needed like a minute to get into the next match. They did some cool stuff with like the deck tech zooming in on cards. The commentary was good. So coverage wise, I was honestly blown away. Like, I, I didn't know that Wizards had it in them to put together such a good weekend of coverage. So definitely shout out to Wizards for improving there. Like, just a huge improvement even over a year or two ago, which kind of makes me excited for the possibilities of coverage. Like, maybe Wizards is kind of investing in this again. So that part was exciting. As far as the actual tournament, Historic in alchemy. This was the first time in a while we got to see alchemy on the big stage. Richard, what actually performed well at this tournament? All right. I don't know, but I have the results. And somehow, <laughs> Orzov Ventures won the championship. So, sorry, what? After buffing Dungeon Descent to a power level that's at least 50x its original, <laughs> it became Dungeon, Dungeon Decent. <laughs> I would have never thought that card would win a pro tour. I mean, I guess in a world where you can buff stuff, all bets are off. But wow, the real version is like the worst card ever made or one of them. 
It worked. They buffed a card. It became good and it changed. You know, it made an archetype viable, so viable that it won uh, the, the championship. So uh, it actually I, worked. So it, viable, it, huh? I, okay. I I have to imagine this is exactly what Wizards wanted. Like, literally exactly. I watched the top eight, and I got to watch Eli playing the deck. And obviously, Eli uh, Cassis is just really, really good player. So obviously, a good player playing it. But it was... It was really, this wasn't some like, oh, there's a adventure card in there. So it's a venture deck. He was really like turboing through dungeons. Like I think in one of the, the finals matches, he completed all three dungeons in his way. He went through the big one, the one that takes like 10 steps to go through and then gives you like the mini omniscience draw three at the end. He even went through that one and actually, actually pulled it off. So it was really, really cool. And I know people have mixed feelings about alchemy and the nerfs or the buffs. But there's some part of me that really enjoyed seeing the mechanic work because it was just so bad in actual (laughs) standard and the cards were so underpowered that no one could ever. I tried to make it work. You tried to make it work. And it's just not very good. So it was actually pretty neat that wizards could like twist a few knobs and suddenly this underpowered mechanic was functional and actually doing good things and playing out the way wizards, I think, wanted it to, where it wasn't overpowered, but it was actually very functional. So uh, in a weird way, actually, actually made me appreciate alchemy more. And I know people are probably going to probably going to be mad about me saying that or whatever. But I thought it was really cool to get to see, you know, a venture deck actually be successful. And if it took a few, you know, nerfs and buffs and decoupling arena from paper to make it happen. I don't know. Maybe that's okay. Yeah. I mean, this is this is like I I've been in the minority with this, but this is exactly what I like about the idea of like magic exploring a digital space. Um, and yeah, like it, it's just hilarious to me that, yeah, somehow, some way dungeons actually was good. Uh, and, and I, I don't know if it's like all the, the dungeon cards that, that really, like literally every one of the cards that got like nerfed or buffed, uh, it like got put into a deck list or if it's that sweet new or not even new, it's just that sweet alchemy card, the four mana card. Um, that, that, uh, like discards the highest CMC. It makes it so Ooh. that, like, mid range, like, can take out some of your best bombs, right? So, I don't know. This, this, I thought it was that card that broke out for me. Not so much. <laughs> I, I, I think that's why. Cause, like, the dungeon stuff was like, whatever. Yeah. That card was, was all over and it looked really, really good. A city stalker connoisseur, I think is the name of the card. The four yeah. drop that makes them discard their highest mana value card. Yeah. That card looked really, really good. Um, <laughs> I just got done complimenting wizards and I'm looking at these deck lists on their site and none of the, none of the alchemy cards actually show up. You can't hover them to see what they are. <laughs> yeah. That was <laughs> and they show up under other on the site. So, uh, maybe I take back a little bit of that praise, at least as far as the deck list publishing. <laughs> Yeah, that was that's so weird. I don't know how like the whole like the mothership isn't able to bring it up. You know what I mean? You know they type these up, right? Like every so every pro tour, there's like typo and card names and player names and like deck names. And I'm like, how is this possible? Like someone actually types these up uh manually, apparently. Uh so Seth, I have a question for you. Given the yes. play rates of Alchemy that we discussed last podcast, how were the viewer numbers for this tournament, given that it was historic and Alchemy? Okay, so good news and bad news as far as viewership. So the good news is uh, they capped out or maxed out around 10,000 viewers. I think just a, just barely over 10K was the, the max viewership, which compared to an Alchemy, I think it was Alchemy and Historic again, but don't quote me on that. But the, the last championship in the beginning of December, the Innistrad championship, that was up maybe... 10, 20%, I think it maxed out around 8,000. So heading in the right direction. On the other hand, if you go back and look at pro tours like pre-arena, like 2015, 2016, before arena was even a thing, uh, they would get 25, 35. I think the best was like 45,000 for, I think it was the Eldrazi winner pro tour had a, had a huge viewership. So in the grand scheme of pro tour or pro tour level coverage, not great, but compared to the last tournament heading in the right direction. So uh, good news, bad news. I want to ask you guys, why do you think viewership is so low compared to where it used to be? Uh, like, it, it's really shocking to me that they made Arena, which 
on paper should make coverage so much better. Like it's flashy and it's got animations and it's kind of to, to some extent, not as much of an extent as we would like, but built for esports. Like that's the idea is you can actually stream this and it doesn't look like Moto, like a spreadsheet. You don't got glare on sleeves. You can actually see what's going on. Why is viewership so much lower for arena tournaments than it was a few years ago before arena existed for paper tournaments? Do you think it's the formats? Is it because people don't really like alchemy and they're mad about the nerfs and buffs in historic? Is it arena? Is it organized play? No, no one has anything to strive for. So people just don't care about tournament play. Is it commander? What do you make of this? Why is viewership so much lower than it used to be for events like this? I, I think competitive play just overall isn't that appealing, right? Like anymore, like the, there's nobody knows what they're kind of like working towards. Uh, if they're even trying to work towards something, right? So that, at least that's my take on it. And I, and I, and yeah, there's also a mixture of some people that also just don't like, uh, that just don't like alchemy. Yeah. I think it's all the above. I think there's just so much more content. I think if you took the exact same, um, pro tour, so like, you know, the same decks, the same standard metagame or whatever from back then and, and, you know, played it today, it would get a lot less views because, uh, back then, there is only so many things to watch on Twitch on that weekend. Uh, nowadays, there's like, you know, 10 other esports tournaments, you know, a double the prize pool happening at the exact same time, right? So there's just a lot more stuff to watch, a lot more competition. Uh, for this one, though, I do think the formats do matter, right? Like, you know, we, we see Dungeon Descent pop off. And let's say I don't play Alchemy. It's totally useless to me, right? Like, I can't even put it in my standard deck or my commander deck and have it do the same thing. Like, it's an actual different card. So I think that's that's part of it. Like, people maybe scout these games to get ideas for their commander decks or whatever, but then they can't play these cards. So, so man. Like, I know I used to play standard just to find, like, stupid cards to put into modern. Right. So like it was kind <laughs> yeah. of applicable. Right. <laughs> but now I'm like, what do I do with this alchemy card? Like, I guess I could play it in historic. Right. Um, and then that, that's it. Right. You got alchemy and historic. So it's not as transferable. So I think that's part of it. And also just the play numbers we saw last week that so few people play alchemy. Having the flagship tournament be alchemy, I think would limit that. I, I actually wonder what would have happened if they did standard. Like, I don't know if it would just be the same result. They got more or less. I, I'm actually kind of curious and wish they tried that somewhere so we, so we would get an idea. Uh, yeah, that, that would be interesting to see just so we could compare those two more directly. I will say, and I know this is probably like uh, hard right now because we're still doing the pandemic stuff and working through the through all that. But I think if this was a paper modern tournament, I think it would have gotten significantly more views. I, I would be surprised if the modern would not outdraw historic in alchemy, which again is a little bit strange because arena is so pushed and standards, the biggest format on arena and all this stuff. Uh, but I think exactly what you said, Richard, like these formats only apply to arena players. Like, yes, if you're arena player, uh, some percentage of you are going to care about alchemy and some larger percent are going to compare, uh, are going to care about historic, even though those percentages are small compared to standard. But that's still just a fraction of the magic community because all the paper players might not care about this at all. And we even see this sometimes reflected in our YouTube channel where a historic video is kind of at a natural disadvantage because some of the people that watch our YouTube channel don't really play arena and they play magic online or they play in paper. So the historic video just doesn't really have a ton of value to them. So I hope Wizards explores more possibilities. Like as we're getting hopefully more organized play, we know there's a stream coming up in like two weeks or three weeks on the weekly MTG stream with Huey, who's running organized play now to talk about organized play stuff. I really, really hope that when they announce whatever they're doing next, the paper is at least a part of it. Not that you should never do arena tournaments or never do alchemy tournaments, but I really think there's a demand there for a, a modern tournament or a pioneer tournament, some of that kind of stuff in paper. I think we'll get a lot of views and be really, uh, really, really hyped. It's been a long time since we've been able to see that, and I think the players are just ready for that again. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 what do you think if, like, even if it was, like, Pioneer, right? Like, I mean, I've been playing a lot of Pioneer recently, so I've, I've been, like, kind of, like, pretty, uh, hype on it again, Ooh. but, uh, yeah. It's sweet, isn't it? Isn't Pioneer in a good place now? Yeah, like, Pioneer's, like, really fun. But, I mean, yeah, it is a little awkward just because a lot of, like, the viewership 
may not play arena, right? And a lot of people just can't play arena exclusive formats just because, well, the, the economy, right? There's so many people that are still kind of like priced out of the game just because how hard it is to like get in it. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you guys think it's a protest or a lack of interest? Like, do you, do you think people want to watch Alchemy, but they're like, you know, I, I cannot watch Alchemy because the economy like is terrible. So I will actively not. Or do you think people just like, literally don't care about alchemy at all so they're not going to watch the um the championship i th- i think it's a little of both i think it would be more i think the bigger group would be people who just don't really care about alchemy because it's not a it's not a format that they play because they don't play an arena or even if they play arena maybe they play standard or brawl or something so i think that would be the bigger group but i have definitely had people when i've mentioned like hey i think i'm going to play alchemy on today's stream I've had people tell me like, well, sorry, like, I love your stream. I love you, but I don't watch alchemy. <laughs> this is my like protest essentially against alchemy and the economy and all this stuff. So I'm going to have to skip this one because it's against my morals or whatever. So I'm sure there is some number of people who who didn't watch it in protest. But I would guess the larger number is like, hey, I'm a paper modern player, pioneer player. And I just like, what do I care about this format? Like none of it applies to me. The cards aren't even the same as the cards that I have in paper. They're playing with, you know, digital exclusive cards. So I think that's probably the the bigger group, I would guess. We need I, a saucy pro protest where they, they, they play the tournament, but they only play like standard legal cards that are unchanged and like all submit <laughs> decklists like that. <laughs> yeah, that that would actually be kind of interesting. I, I think it's an interesting choice to go with alchemy over standard because standard is paper relevant. So I wonder how much that would matter. Like alchemy, uh, they're announcing a new alchemy set. We're talking about spoilers in a few minutes. So I know why they want to do alchemy because they it was a natural way to promote the new alchemy set. On the other hand, I wonder if they'd get more views if it was standard just because then you're also hitting on paper standard players and whatnot who maybe don't who maybe don't play on arena that much. At least you'd have one paper adjacent format for the tournament instead of two digital exclusive formats but it's called the neon dynasty championship though (laughs) why why would you (laughs) feature the alchemy set interesting so so anyway that is that is the championship any other thoughts on the tournament stuff before we uh move on to some spoilers all right let's let's talk some (laughs) alchemy kamigawa neon dynasty alchemy spoilers and remember these cards are digitally exclusive so you can't get them in paper for your commander deck they're legal in alchemy they're legal in historic and richard uh why don't you guide us through some spoilers all right so we have moth rider cavalry two white white uh it's at mythic rarity creature human samurai two two this spell costs two less to cast if you have no other creature cards in hand or if the only other creature cards in your hand are named Moth Rider Cavalry. Flying other creatures you control get plus one, plus one. The, this is sweet. So, I, I, I love the yeah. design of this, right? Like, this is just a fun digital card. Uh, like, the, the if... Okay, I mean, I don't know about making more mythics and things that are desirable but because like you know the economy and whatnot but like it the card itself is really sweet so i i like it a lot and like the the whole psych idea of like a cycle of these cards i feel like these could be paper cards <laughs> that's the that's a weird part to me because you can't check like the land grant or something well, yeah, but you got like you could just reveal the hand like that would be a twist, I guess you'd lose some information advantage there. But we have cards like land grant that are like if you have no lands in hand, you can cast this reveal your hand and cast it for free or whatever. So you could make it work in paper with a reveal your hand clause like uh, maybe that's too different as far as the card itself. I still don't know what Wizards is doing with Samurais in Kamigawa. Why is this another Samurai that cares about going wide when the tribe's all about attacking with one creature? It's all, I don't know why they keep doing it. Like, the Samurais are just so weird and clunky and not so synergistic. And this is another one to add to the pile. The card, though, I feel like it's really good for token decks. I think that's the main home. What do you think about it in, like, a normal deck? Let's say you're playing White Weenie. Okay. And you have a decent amount of creatures. And there's some chance that you'll curve out and cast your hand before you play this. And this will be the last card you cast, and it'll get a discount. But a lot of times, it's going to be four mana. Is that in the conversation? Or does it have to be two mana for it to really be worth it? I mean, I think the fact that it... It's just good because it could be two mana, right? And even when it's four mana, I guess it's not the worst thing in the entire world, 
right? Like it's a body that flies and can kind of pump some stuff. So sure. Like I'm on board with it. So you would, you would play it in a, a, a normal deck. Yeah. You don't think it has to be like a full build around nope. no other creatures in the deck or something like that. Yeah. Like I think it's just fine on its own. Like I don't think you need to like build around it at all. Uh, this, this card is sweet. I think, what do you think, Richard? I think this is good. So, so even if you don't build around me, like your, your worst case is on turn four, you play this for two mana and then you have two extra mana for your combat trick to like finish the game. So like it, it is still relevant, even if you're playing it, um, you know, quote unquote fairly. Uh, so I think this card is actually pretty good. Uh, I do agree with Seth. This doesn't actually make any sense, you know. Why does not, why does it not thematically work with the loner mechanic or, you know, the, the single attacker? I, I don't know. Uh, this chalk it up to being designed after the fact, not by the core team that made the set, right? Like that's probably an alchemy thing. Uh, but they could have just easily not made it a samurai, right? They could have just easily made it like a, a human moth or whatever the heck this thing is, right? <laughs> so I, I don't know, but I, the card looks good even the fair way right and then the unfair way is you just have like token producers or something and then you just play this as a two mana two two flying that pumps uh but but Alish marshall was fine right three mana three three that pumped so this seems yeah i mean I, and i guess if you consider intrepid adversary sees a lot of play yeah. and at four mana it's kind of very similar like four mana you get to pump your team plus one plus one and you get a what four four two ground creature. This gives you a smaller creature, but it has evasion. So I guess even fairly, it's it's probably not too bad. Although I think if you play it unfairly and you're playing a bunch of wedding announcements and Azika's chariots and like minimal creatures in your deck and you're casting this for two mana, then this card is pretty above the curve. Like at two mana, this card's great. Or you just get the nut draw where you're playing a normal deck, but you have three of these in hand for some reason, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> yes. Moth, yeah, Moth Rider Tron. Yeah, right. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> All right. Next up, we have Forceful Cultivator. Two green, green, two, three, Mythic Snake Shaman. Uh, it's part of the same cycle. So this spell costs two less if there are no land cards in your hand. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land. Put that card onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. I hate this so much. I think it's, I hate this so much. I think this card is made for me. <laughs> I love I love my greedy one land keeps. <laughs> and this is a card that can bail me out when I keep a hand that I probably actually shouldn't keep by turning into like a super powered rapid growth. I think this card's pretty good. At four mana, it's below the curve. We have many similar things at four mana, but at two mana. Oh, this card's really good. And you can even build around it with MDFCs. Like the more MDFCs you play, the less real lands you have in <laughs> your deck, like, yeah. the more likely you are. Yeah. I mean, but I think this card's, I think this card's good. Seth is right. Like this card does mean like a lot more two landers, maybe even a one lander greed keep. Like, yeah. Like I, I, I hate this just because of what it, it's so good. I, I think it's, it's such a sweet, like powerful card. Really? The, I was thinking this card is trash. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like let's say let's say you let's say you have a normal hand is a four mana two three that ramps you to your fifth land like unfortunately yes if you do have like you know like yeah. even on turn two so you rampant growth with a two three body you know conditionally mm. is that that is exciting as moth rider cavalry <laughs> it four mana it's pretty meh i mean there's like quandrix cultivator there's solemn simulacrums there's there's a lot of similar things that i think are better at four mana but the upside of being two mana maybe that's but maybe we, that's we, enough we, to make the rest of your it. game is ruined essentially right <laughs> like even if you're <laughs> sitting there at three lands you're probably not making it anywhere you gotta still top deck lands right so you need it to greedily yeah. keep a horrendous hand to make this <laughs> mediocre card do something that's above <laughs> mediocre, like I don't know. I'm I'm keep keep it, keeping bad hands to make bad cards better. You gotta mull. You're like you I got four lands. I gotta mull down to one to make sure my yeah. forceful cultivator gets there. But I need a top deck and untapped second land. But I can't because I have all these MDFCs to make my forceful cultivator work. <laughs> I I will say I think the I think the biggest problem with the card is the decks that would want this ramp effect the decks that would want a solemn or a quandrix cultivator effect 
are usually decks that want a ton of lands because you're a ramp deck. So there's a little bit of weird tension that uh, the ability of the card is going to be best in a ramp deck that plays a ton of lands. But if you're playing a ramp deck with a ton of lands, your odds of casting this for two mana goes down significantly, like in a in a stompy style deck or something with fewer lands. I guess a two mana two three isn't bad, but if you got to cast it for four mana, that's like well, that's questing beast territory. That's Zuvenwald, whatever oddity. Like you get really powerful threats for four mana. So I guess I don't know. I think the main, I like the idea of this card. I like that it's a, it's a bailout card for when you keep a bad hand. Whether or not that's enough to actually like see significant play, eh, that I'm not sure on. All right. Next up, Fragment Reality, uh, a single white instant at rare. Exile target non-token artifact, creature, or enchantment. Its controller puts a random creature card with lesser mana value from their library onto the battlefield tapped. This is what Divine Gambit wanted to be to begin with. Like, this is, it's so funny that they printed Divine Gambit like a year ago and everyone made fun of it. Like, this is the, this is the fixed, improved, actually maybe playable Divine Gambit. You can use it on your own stuff if you're desperate. You can hit artifacts and creatures and enchantments and you're not going to give your opponent the best thing in their hand or the best thing in their deck like a Chaos Warp because it's going to trade down in mana value. At the same time, you're still giving your opponent something back. Like, uh, uh, in just a random generic matchup, I feel this is probably a sideboard card. But in the right matchup, this is, like, great removal. If you're killing a one-drop, that's kind of free. If you're playing against a deck that doesn't really have a ton of creatures, then this is also great. Like, uh, snagging the Hullbreaker Whore against Controller or whatever is kind of a free roll. <laughs> or getting their Salus disc because they're not going to have a creature to spin into. So I don't know, what do you guys think? Is this like a main deck playable card? Is this a meme card? Where do you fall on Fragment Reality? I, I I think I want this to be good, but I am so, I'm still very afraid uh, of, of <laughs> what could come into play here, right? I mean, okay, so the, you exile an artifact, a non-token artifact creature or enchantment, and then its controller puts a creature card with lesser mana value. Ugh, I don't like my opponents having anything though. The whole reason why I spent my <laughs> removal is so I didn't have to put another like creature into play. Yeah, like if it's great, uh, maybe if I'm able to hit a Hallbreaker Horror, but I <laughs> I don't know. We 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 still have March of Otherworldly Light. I don't think I need to play this. This could be like a sideboard as a worst case scenario. I need like a temporary pause. Or like a te- like just like a little bit of time because essentially you could stop one thing for a turn and then it it spawns something else. Yeah, I I would think it's an emergency button for control decks. Like maybe you 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 like snag an enchantment and then you sweep the board with everything, or you use it against a one drop. Uh, but yeah, like killing a creature and getting another creature is not ideal. But it is random. It's not getting like the best creature on their deck, right? It's just. A, a dirtily card so like if your opponent has a combo or something right or some insane synergy you break it up and give them a random card so maybe it's fine I, i'm thinking it's I, better than it's worse like i think it's not that bad right i think it has some point but it's not you know it's it's not a one mana removal right it's situational and whether you want to keep it in against the deck you're playing against i think i would go with march of otherworldly light is just my main removal spell but i still think this has sideboard potential i think this card would be awesome in modern uh, i think i think if you could play it in formats where there are combo decks this seems like an amazing sideboard answer like you're playing storm and you're like, okay, I got to get this hate card off the battlefield so I can win. This might be the best option for that. What do you care if they spin into a random creature? If you're getting rid of it, you're just going to combo off and win anyway. Like, sure, spin into your best creature. I don't care. So I feel uh, I feel like it would be great in some formats. I just don't know if we have enough of those style of decks in Historic or in Alchemy for this to have that role in those formats. So, I mean, as the formats grow and we get more combo decks, I think maybe it goes up in value. But for now, I think it's... Good sideboard card at a minimum. Yeah, uh, store store these up. Uh, eventually, we'll get all the combo decks, and then and then this will have a purpose. <laughs> Next up, Kami of Transmutation, one in a white, two two spirit at rare. When it enters or leaves the battlefield, choose one. Each permanent in your hand perpetually becomes an artifact in addition to its other types. Uh, the second option is each permanent in your hand perpetually becomes an enchantment in addition to its other types. 
I, hold on. Let me, let me. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what to do with this card. There's got to be this card just got spoiled, so I haven't had time to really think in depth about like what combos and synergies there could be with it. I guess you can like turn all of your stuff into enchantments so they trigger an enchantress or something like that. At the same time, you're potentially turning on your opponents like disenchants and like narrow remove all of a sudden you're <laughs> everything's dying to prismari command or whatever because you turn all your stuff into an artifact so there's some like downsides to it as well i don't there's got to be a combo right there's got to be some sort of combo that you can do with this card i okay i gotta make sure i'm reading this reach like why i don't i don't know like <laughs> like why would i want to do this this just seems like uh kind of kind of weird like so so mycosynth lattice <laughs> Is a how much mana spell, right? Like, uh, but that's essentially what this is doing for you, right? But so many of the combos with like lattice or liquidal coating are about turning your opponent stuff into artifacts rather right. than your own stuff. I think that's what makes it tricky. Uh, is it's not like oh I can turn your thing into an artifact and then shatter it or whatever with my artifact removal spell. So you, you're only hitting your stuff, which makes it a little bit more challenging to figure out the combos. There's there's got to be something though, or else why would they even just just make all this his glitters is pretty strong with this. No, <laughs> like there you go. Yep, yep. But yep. like I, like on, I'm like, sure there's there's something or... like if you have like um, I don't know like think of all like the artifact like an Urza or something like construct tokens like anything right like just just randomly doing this provided you don't get blown out right by your opponent like I think this is a really strong ability so strong that I'm wondering why it's on a two mana two two like I think like the lattice yeah. effects like yes. Those are used to lock your opponents out, but look how much mana they are. Like the ability to turn everything into an enchantment or an artifact, I think, uh, is really strong. Like, what if you just play like a stupid enchantress deck or something, right? Now all your lands are enchantments, right? Um, and then you can yeah. just go to town, right? So I, I'm sure there's something broken we can do with this. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even those like floor situations of like all of your lands are artifacts. So they work in your affinity deck or your enchantress. They are all enchantments. So they trigger your enchantress effects or grow your whatever. Like all of that stuff seems relevant enough. And that's just like kind of the, the most obvious choices. I guess you like turn everything into enchantments for Weaver of Harmony and now you can I don't know, double trigger things that are not actually enchantments with it. Mm. There's, there's gotta be all kinds of sweet shenanigans with this card. Yeah. All I mean, right. maybe, maybe it's just not like so. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it just isn't presenting itself right now and down the line it'll be better. But yeah, I just really do not know how in like alchemy, like what this does other than set me up for like a blowout. It turns on Mech Titan Core. You turn all your creatures. Into oh, creatures. okay. So uh, there you and go. You got him. So you're doubling down on the getting blown out. Okay, got it. Got it. Uh, all right. Next up, better offer X blue sorcery at rare. Put a random creature card with mana value X or less from target opponent's library onto the battlefield under your control. It perpetually has base power and toughness XX and perpetually gains. Ward one. Ward one. Why? Why do you? Why? Why? Why do you even put ward one on there? Come on. Come on. Why do we Wait, even need that so ward one? I am confused. Uh, so th this is. It makes an XX with ward one that will have an ETB and whatever static abilities of whatever comes out of your opponent's deck. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yes. Okay. Is this card good, Grim? You're the blue play. I've seen some I... people say this could be a control deck card or sideboard card. You're the control master. I. I. I don't know if I'm gonna be paying. This is sorcery speed, right? Like, I think, yes, this is sorcery speed. Get a a random creature card, right? That's uh, the the big part here is the random part. That one scares me to like like nonstop. I don't even care about the rest of that stuff. Cause so you get a creature with value X or less. I mean, that could be any. Like, what if I rip someone's Thalia? Like, I don't want that. It's even worse. <laughs> you, yeah, you hit their, you hit their phage. Yeah, yeah. Oops. <laughs> like, but I mean, uh, it scales pretty well for a blue card. It scales like some green hydras. There's hydras that are like one in X and they enter with X plus one plus one counter. So if you cast this for 10 mana, you're getting a nine nine or whatever. So you are going to make a pretty big creature, even if you hit a one drop from your opponent's deck. But I get what you're saying. Like there is no control over it. Like bribery is good because you get to choose your opponent's best creature. 
Right. This, you have no idea what you're going to get. Yeah, it's just a big question mark, and then it's a mana sink, and it's a mana sink that's also required that you do it on your turn. So, ah. There's also main deck risk that if you you run into a, a crim deck that isn't playing creatures and it's just a pile of teferis and kobolduses, not going to be great. <laughs> I, I would have to spend five mana to rip a Nicobolus, which which is... <laughs> I guess okay, maybe the Ravager, but like <laughs> other than that, like I don't know. Am I gonna pay eight man or eight mana total to then try to pull a whole break horror if you play it? Yeah, there were, there's some risk there. I like this card as a fun card. I don't think this card's good. I think this card's bad. But they keep printing all these like steal your opponent's deck cards, and I find a lot of fun just jamming them all together into like a thief deck. And the deck's never like super successful, but it is pretty fun when you get to like beat your opponent down with their own cards. So I definitely would play it there alongside like Siphon, uh, Inside, and Rahilda. And there's like so many cards in Alchemy that can do something like this. Clone Crafter. So. I don't know. It's going in that deck, even though that deck's really bad. I, I think you get a worse creature like 70% of the time. Like, like if you're playing like anything mana value, like four or five less, like I think you're actually downgrading the creature because you don't get the greater of the power and toughness, right? Like if you if you cast and get a questing beast, you get a three three questing beast. <laughs> that's right. That's, yeah. Like, that's awkward, that is, right? Yeah. Like you're saying like pay ten mana for a nine nine. I'm pretty sure a ten mana would buy you like a thirty thirty or something. Like if, <laughs> like if it was actual card, right? Like this is not good. It's weird. It just has ward one. Like what? You know, you, you could just get a vanilla creature off the top. Right? You could get what about go ahead. What about just casting it for for two mana to get one drops? Just like just snag whatever one drop they're gonna play. Is there any way that's Get your eye twitch, get your shambling gast or whatever. Is there any way that would be worth it? Uh, fine. I, uh, <laughs> well, no. I mean, you could play the eye twitch yourself and not deal with this, yeah. right? Like, I mean, it rewards you for knowing your opponent's deck, right? Like, you, you might know that they have, like, some really good value creature at two mana, so you'll play it for three. But is that what you're here to do with this card? I, I don't know. And, like, what if you are so unlucky? And get the other crap cards they have in their deck, right? <laughs> you don't get to choose, right? It's random. Is this a is this a brawl card? Have we reached the point where Wizards is designing cards for historic brawl? Uh, I think maybe that's is, where it's supposed to see play. Is maybe it's a better brawl deck. Maybe I feel. Well, I mean, I don't think I'm playing it in alchemy. That's for sure. Or his definitely not his story. Yeah, no, it's even worse than Brawl, right? Because your opponent's playing Singleton, so you can't even guess what they're playing <laughs> at a random mana value, and they're probably playing a lot of filler stuff, right? Yeah, that's that's true. Hmm. All right, maybe it's just bad. <laughs> if you could target yourself with it or something, it might have more point. <laughs> or if it, if it was an instant, I think it'd be good. Like, if you could do the same exact thing at instant speed, then we'd be talking for control decks, I think. All right. Next up, Kami of Mourning, two in a black, three to uh, spirit at rare. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, target creature you control or creature card in your graveyard perpetually gains. Whenever a creature you control with greater mana value than this card dies, return this card from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. This card's so sweet. This has got to be one of the most interesting cards that they've revealed so far. So it I'm reanimates a, or yeah. prevents something from dying, right? It's kind of like a scrap trawler almost, but you get to choose the the thing that gets scrap trawler. But yeah, essentially it reanimates or uh, prevents something from dying. I think there's potential in like sack decks, like uh, you play it on your whatever, your Croxa and then your Mayhem Devil dies and you get back the Croxa and get the trigger again or uh, cat oven style decks. There's also combos. They're kind of like four piece janky combos. But if you have a free sack outlet, there are some things that you can like loop two creatures from the graveyard repeatedly uh vesper lark and sling gang lieutenant for example would be one of them where you just uh, vesper lark gets back singing then you sack the sling gang and that'll get back the vesper lark and then you do it again and drain your opponent out of the game again it's like four pieces so probably not gonna break any formats but i think this card's sweet i really like this card like uh quite a bit and you could probably even just play it fairly like just play it fairly and trust that your stuff's gonna die throughout the game and you're gonna get some things back for extra value i feel like this card will be broken because it's like perpetual, right? So I think there'll be some weird combos with this. 
it's hard to understand, but I, I'm sure there's something you can do with this because you can just loop things infinitely. So I, yeah, yeah, I, I think people might hate this eventually. <laughs> it seems cool, <laughs> but I, this seems kind of problematic to me, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure on this yet. This is like an interesting card because I just, I'm more so wondering the shell around it, like what would get played with it. I mean, what about just jamming it in the pre-existing sack decks, like a cat oven deck? Like, is there, those are, those are real things in historic. Is there any argument to just running it in a sack deck? I guess you already can't play Luris because you're a, a mayhem devil shell. And then you just play this and I don't know, target your gilded goose, ravenous score. I guess there's not very good creatures to target because outside of your random one drops, it's like mayhem devil and Corvald for the most part. Uh, so maybe that's not going to be good enough. Yagmoth in historic maybe Yagmoth is the way to go I think it's there's got to be something there's got to be something with this card I do agree with Richard that this might be the most likely to be broken out of the cards we've seen when we're talking about like what needs to be nerfed a few weeks from now keep an eye on Kamiya Morning yeah yeah all right the heck is this okay Bellows Breath Ogre <laughs> to the red artifact creature Ogre Shaman 3-3 starting intensity 1 uh, whenever Bellows Ogre or Bellows Breath Ogre attacks, it deals damage to its in- equal to its intensity to any target, then perpetually increases in- its intensity by one. The hex intensity is this new? <laughs> so yeah, this is new. Uh, yeah, that's, that's they could have put like a counter on it that just had that to call it intensity for flavor purposes. <laughs> You, you gotta, you gotta make it digitally exclusive, Richard. If, you, if it got a counter, it could be a paper card, and the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> is it new for Bellows Breath Ogre, or is it was it? Introduced? Yeah, this is the this is the first time we've seen intensity. Wow, so such intense, so much intense, it's so <laughs> such intense. It, I, I kind of like. Okay, memes aside, I, I think I like that. So but, it's a three mana three three. The first time it attacks, you ping something for one. Right. The second attack, you'll shock something. Third attack, you'll lightning bolt something. And it's any I target. I mean, that doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. Any target, so I like that. Uh, I mean, we'll see how we feel about some a three-mana 3-3 three, three that doesn't have haste or anything like that. Uh, and it's on attacks. So uh, I'm very curious how that plays out. Otherwise, I mean, it could be pretty sweet, though. Can I artificially increase its intensity somehow (laughs) with, like, a doubling season or something? No? Uh, Not that we know of so far. Like, it's not a... Well, we'll have to get the official rulings, but I don't believe it's a counter. It's not. I think it's just a line of text on Arena. Uh, So I don't think any of those shenanigans would work with it. We'll have to... Maybe they print something that makes a creature more intense, doubles a creature intensity. It's pretty intense. (laughs) You could have made it anything else, and it could have synergies with other cards. I don't know why they wouldn't just do it with counters. Like, it, it seems like you could just have it attack and add a charge counter to it or something. I guess the only thing that wouldn't work is the perpetually thing, but counters are perpetual, so the only way they would make a difference is if it dies and gets reanimated or gets blinked or something. This one feels very close to a, a paper card to me, or something that could be a paper card. Well, because so if you okay, okay, so if you copy of mourning it, okay, and it's intensity five, but you're somehow not dead, and you reanimate it, <laughs> it keeps its intensity, right? Oh, I, we, oh yeah, that's it's perpetual, right? Yeah, like it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it does. Yeah. It, it is a difference between counters. It keep, or let's say you bounce it back to someone's hand when they redeploy it. It has its previous intensity. So I think that's right. Yeah, that is right. Yeah. So you can somehow I mean, charge this sucker up, better. right? <laughs> like, somehow if your opponent is not dead and you have like high intensity, you get to keep it. So it does something. I like that it can snipe blockers. Yeah. Like, uh, I think yeah. that'll be its main use is like sniping a blocker so you can keep attacking and snowballing it that way. It could definitely be good enough for like a red aggro style deck or a mid rangey style deck. I like this. This is the most exciting card I've seen. <laughs> yeah. Like, this this so definitely dumb, but I'm like, plays oh, more. big fire out of his mouth. Look at his belly. It's like lighting up and it stays lit up <laughs> the whole game. <laughs> and it only it, gets it's bigger. Big, perpetually. <laughs> Uh, all right. Next up, Foundry Beetle. One and a red. Two, two. Uh, at rare artifact creature equipment insect. First strike. Equipped creature has first strike. At the beginning of your upkeep, a random artifact card in your hand perpetually gains. This spell costs one less to cast. Reconfigure a single red. I think this card's bad. It, look, 
It looks especially bad compared to Fearsome Whelp uh, from Last Alchemy, which gave all of your dragons one less to cast uh, in the same manner, also on a red two drop. I feel like giving a single artifact in your hand one less to cast just doesn't seem like that much of an impact. I guess a 2-2 first strike for two is not the end of the world. Maybe if there's some deck that really just cares about things being equipment, like you got SRAMs going or some sort of Nihiri free equip shenanigans, maybe that could be a home, but I don't know. Isn't this just bad? Am I missing something? Has to be an artifact. I yeah, it's yep. your next upkeep too. Yeah, I, so it's got to survive a turn, and you get a one mana discount. I don't know if I like this at all either. Yeah, I, you know what? I think this is a card of the ones we've read like read off so far. I think that like when they do their next cycle of buffs, this is one of those cards <laughs> that are gonna need that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this got punished because Fearsome Whelp was so good. Fearsome Whelp was one of the cards they had to nerf. And this is kind of looking similar, so I feel like they went safe with this one to avoid avoid having a fearsome whelp situation. But maybe too safe. I think this is okay. I think better offer would more likely get a buff. <laughs> I, like like <laughs> let's it, it lives. It's like a, a vanna dork or something, right? It ramps you by one, and then once the two two body's irrelevant, you reconfigure it onto something to give first strike, like. It sucks, but I can see it playable somewhere, and you're like kind of happy with it. But I don't know. Better offer. Better <laughs> offer. At least you get something kind of right away when you play it. <laughs> what do you get? The Foundry Beetle. Are you happy? No. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, yo, that that's great. I like what they did with the beetle. It's cool. It's like this arm accessory thing, but like that, I don't think it does anything. Oh, okay, okay, okay. How about this? Foundry Beetle and Kami of Transmutation. Now anything in your hand can be reduced by one. Ooh. At random though. So if it hits a land, you're screwed. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a lot of bad two drops to uh, to make that work, but <laughs> I like where you're going with that. All right. I don't, it's not I mean a two two first strike's not that bad. It's not that bad. So I don't think your card's good, but wait, wait, is a two two first strike playable? It used to be uh, like ten years yeah, ago. That I, I, was that was a house. This is this is not. This, no, Seth. No, this is not. A, this is not gonna work. Dude, remember like Ash Zalet? Remember Ash oh, Zalet? Ooh, that okay. card was so good. Yeah, yeah, that card was sweet. But this, but this that is was not also that. a lifetime ago in Magic. So also Ash yeah. Zalet is much better than this. For starters, at haste. Had haste. Oh yeah. It also mm, had that yeah, ability that, that, that would ping people, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. Which was relevant. So yeah, this this is this is gonna be, I think, the thing that needs the buff the most. Better offer, I believe it or not, I think is somewhat better. I do really. think people will play better offer for the beams though. So the the play oh, the play oh, yeah. rate will be much higher than poor old foundry beetle here. <laughs> the <laughs> all only right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> those are all the previews. Uh, you can check them out at mtgpreviews.com. So these are Alchemy exclusive. So remember, only available on Magic Arena for play in Alchemy and Historic. Save up them wild cards. <laughs> You're gonna need, <laughs> gonna need a lot of them. Ugh. All right. Uh, shall we fish mail? Yes, yes. Let's fish mail. All right. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmail. And we get to your questions on air. At what are you doing 17? Grixis. It's just edgy jund. Where is the lie? Wrong. <laughs> Wrong? <laughs> Gr- like, jund is just dry Grixis. <laughs> All right? Like, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is edgier jund. I don't know. I like it, though. I mean, you get to kill a lot of stuff and counter stuff. That's like everything you want to do. What, what is the point of red in Grixis? That is my question to you. Bolt, Nicobolus. <laughs> Nico Bolas. Did I mention Nico Bolas? And also Nico Bolas. That that's all you need. You just need Nico Bolas. <sighs> what if they made what if they made John Nico Bolas? What if he turned green one day? Would you would you still approve of I this? would be offended. I would be so offended <laughs> if they added green to Nico. This is not Omnath, okay? You leave you leave Bolas in the three colors that we know, okay? You leave him alone. I mean we've had planeswalkers change color quite frequently in Magic. Not so Bolas. I'm waiting for the green Bolas arc where he becomes best friends with Nissa. That's like the uh, worst arc I've ever heard in my life. Please no. 
All right. Uh, 11 Vicious. Does the crew have any hot takes on return to new Phyrexia? Mine are it will be three set blocks. Elish Norm will be Planeswalker with a wish ability for creatures. That is why we are seeing these Praetors in other worlds. Ooh. Oh, man. I want to go back to new Phyrexia so much. That's one of my... I always have a soft spot for Mirrodin sets ever since that was like the first set I played a ton of. That was the card pool I had when I first started playing. So I just love those sets. My prediction is... It's it'll be broken. It's always every time we go to Mirrodin, <laughs> it's an artifact set. Something ends up being super busted. How about this sword cycle completed? We see swords again in standard for the first time ever. If they're ever going to finish the sword cycle in standard, that's where it's going to be. What's left for the sword cycle? Oh, God, put me on the spot. <laughs> there's like three, I believe. I think there's three, there's the but I, or two one? or three, but I right. The we don't have a Demir sword yet. That's missing. So we need blue, black. Uh, we have. We don't oh, have man. a gruel sword. What oh yeah, we don't have a gruel Red, sword. Red green. Yeah. Uh, I think there's one more. We have Azorius. Eh. eh. But I think they'll finish it. I think it's there's eight of them. So those are the only we're missing. Demir and gruel. Okay. We have all the we have all the other ones. Okay. Okay. I think it's possible that they complete it. <laughs> I mean, I want Elish Norn Planeswalker. That would be sweet. And I wanted to have four abilities, and I want the Phyrexian text version. So you like you play it and you're like, I use plus one and everyone's like, what does that do? And you're like, I have no idea. Then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> what does that do? No clue. But it sounds cool. But, 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 but I, I transform it and there's a backside and it has also four <laughs> abilities in Phyrexian. And you're like, here we go. <laughs> now now we're cooking. Okay. But it's the Japanese Phyrexian. <laughs> do you think Phyrexian mana will come back? I know we got I mean, like yeah. the one symbol in Tamiyo, but do you think it'll actually be like a real mechanic. I have to believe Zero it. chance. Zero chance. They're what? not going to... So either it's unplayable and like, what's the point of making it? Or it breaks everything. And then they're not happy with that either. Do you think they'll mess with Phyrexian? Mana? I mean, we just got Tammy... Like, that's such... Okay, I know that's a flavor thing, right? And it's... I think it's meant to throw us into like thinking that, okay, yeah, they, they probably... They're probably going to uh, bring it back, but... I'll bite. I'll bite. I have to believe. I mean, I come on. That'd be kind of cool to see it again, right? Or maybe I maybe I just I I think I want to see it, but I actually don't want to see it. <laughs> I I I'm going to say they bring it back, but it's all going to be Tamio style. I don't think we'll see any color pride breaking Phyrexian cards. That those are the cards that were really overpowered is like you can pay colorless mana and life for dismember, Gitaxian probe or whatever. So I think they'll bring it back, but I think you're always gonna have to pay colored mana along with the option to pay some life. That's gonna be kinda like they did with Tamiyo essentially. So I think it comes back but nerfed more or less. Well, you did say they always break the sets when they come back to new Phyrexia, so <laughs> Phyrexian mana seems like a way to do it. I, I, I just hope they do something new. I mean, we've seen the mechanic. It's cool and all. Maybe not. Uh, but, like, do something new. Like, why not? Next question. Paul Nada. If Arena implemented a wildcard exchange system, what do you think a fair exchange rate would be? Three to one seems fair to me. Three uncommons for one rare. Uh, three rares for one mythic. Ooh. Hmm. Oh, generous. how many how I many common wild cards do you have? Like eight billion? <laughs> I, I think I think it would be a lot like to get from a because uh, that would mean if you had what, 12 common wild cards, you could get a mythic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure on like Hearthstone, if you want to try to dust your lowest rarity cards and get your highest rarity cards, it's like it's 20. It's like or something 10 like dust, it's, I think. No, it's five dust for a common. Right. And you need 1600, I think, for a legendary. Yeah. So you're looking at like a, over a, well over 100. You're looking at a big, big number. So I think it would be a lot more than that. I don't think Wizards is going to let us easily turn commons into mythics because I think that's how they make a big part of their money is a higher rarity, like uh, cracking packs to get the last wild card you need. So I'm going to say, oh, what a about, number that people would not be happy with. Three uncommons <laughs> for a rare. Like what if you kept the pack ratios? Well, like 10, or 10 commons to three uncommons to one rare to, I don't know what the mythic ratio is, like one in eight or whatever. Um, that, that could be... That could actually work. That still might be a little bit generous from Wizards' perspective. Yeah, but would that be too generous? <laughs> it's too generous still. I don't I don't think that, that yeah. it, it's got to be more. Do you think I they would ever do 20? this? No. <laughs> <laughs> First off, if if I if I if they were to do it, it would be some like absurdly high number, right? Like it have to be because 
Like, yeah, like, it, as we were just mentioning, it was five dust, a common. I mean, everybody right now probably has more common wild cards than they can use. Uh, we're probably, like, everyone's like, I'm, I think I'm sitting at like 200,000 or something like that. I don't know. So, <laughs> so like, you've got a lifetime of common. Yeah. I mean, Wouldn't you trade like 95% of your common wild cards for a single rare? I, I, I would trade all of them for a single mythic at this point, yeah. right? Like, they're, they're like worthless, right? Like, maybe yeah. in a draft to do set, you might need eight or something to make something, but like, that's it, right? Like, the rest are like utterly useless and they're so common, Ooh. right? All right. If, here, here's some arena numbers that I think are relevant. To open the vault, in the vault, you get a mythic wild card, two rares, what, three uncommons, four commons, something like that. But you need 909 extra commons. Or 303 extra uncommons. And that's to get one mythic, two rares, and a few lower rarity cards. So I think that wizards would be looking at like, I mean, 250 commons to trade up into a, into a mythic or something like that. I think the number would be based on what they're doing with the vault. It would be a, it would be a very high number. I think we're more likely to get them to sell us wild yeah. cards, honestly. Yeah. Which I still think people will not be happy about how much. It would cost to buy like a single mythic wild card, but I think that would be a more likely change than trading in commons, especially now because we got the issue now that we got people like Kramer, people like me that do have just like a ridiculous amount of common wild cards. They would have had to implement it, I think, from the start and had the rates be set from the start because now there's just such a huge stockpile. I probably wouldn't have to buy cards for like the next couple of sets or something if i could just turn all my commons into into mythic wild cards and rare wild cards and i don't think wizards wants that yeah what's wrong with rewarding your most hardcore (laughs) i would love it oh yeah i would love it but give me 250 are you kidding me i would i'm curious how much for a rare wild card or mythic wild card do you would you want to pay and do you think wizards will charge Oh, all right. I would want to pay, and this is going to sound ridiculously high, but it's based on how much I have to pay already. I would be perfectly fine paying $5 for a rare and $10 for a mythic. I know that's way higher than what most people think, because I've actually asked people about this before, and a lot of people are like, I think we should get five rares for a dollar or something. Like, really, really low numbers that I don't think are going to happen. I would be fine with 10 and 5 if I could just get the exact card that I needed. I think Wizards would charge more than that. I think we'd be looking at, like, 20 and 10, something like that. I think Wizards is going to cause a charge a tax, essentially, for the convenience. So I think it's got to be more expensive than opening packs or else why would you ever open packs yeah and i and i see i look at it more like they're probably going to make it uh like they they i don't know if they'll ever sell just straight up a single card what they'll do is they'll probably sell it like treasure vaults right so okay you can buy a vault and the vault is twenty dollars Okay, that's how I, I mean that would be pretty good. That's just a that's just a battle pass, right? They yeah, just put more stuff much. on the battle pass and they charge you for it. So looking at decklists, you- right? Like roughly, you know, I'm seeing decks with like 35 rares, uh, 42 rares. That would put your deck somewhere between like 150 to 200 dollars if you just straight up bought like rare wild cards. So I mean that doesn't seem like too unreasonable. I mean that's roughly close to what paper decks cost yeah. i would say and and you don't get the upside of being able to sell your cards but it would be it would just be so much easier for getting like the last few cards you need that's where i run into the biggest trouble is like having all the deck except for like two mythics and then the only way to get to mythics is like open 60 packs to try to get a couple of wild cards so it would make it so much easier for people just to finish decks and i think that would help wizards because it would incentivize people to buy more cards because if you're in that position where you're like okay i need two more mythics to finish this deck what are your choices like scrap the deck and play something else play the deck suboptimally or open a ton of packs if you could just buy the wild cards or buy a vault to get the wild cards i think a lot more people would be like all right this sucks but you know i'm going to spend the money to finish the deck so i can play it so i think wizards might actually make more in the long run if they did do it that way yeah and you know, people will be not as upset. They'll they'll probably still just, be upset, but like, <laughs> you can just cap. How, like, let's say you can buy five rare wild cards a week or a month, so you're forced to open some number of packs. But if you just need a couple of cards, you can buy the wild cards to finish it. And That's I what Ruterra did, right? 
yeah, that would accomplish what they want, right? Yeah, that even that would be would be a huge improvement. I would be down with that too. You put it in a in a in a in a battle pass vault thing where now you have to like grind your way for the ability to buy like five <laughs> wild cards. So you increase like playtime as well. Have daily quests every day. You get like one extra rune when you get five runes. Combine them into a rare wild card with like five bucks. <laughs> I, I I can be well, I can be a mobile game designer too, guys. Oh man, we we do know that this Thursday is a long awaited uh, long awaited economy stream about Magic Arena. So we'll see we'll see if there's any interesting innovations or improvements. I'm not holding my breath that we're gonna get like a huge amount of good news, but I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we get something positive out of the stream on Thursday. So not a long way, not a long way, and we'll know more. Absolutely nothing. Just ways to obfuscate the problem. <laughs> we we made the, ha- the the vault hidden again. <laughs> you don't see anything. We we've hidden your gems. You don't know how many gems you have. You actually can't even open your vault anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they just hide your wild cards, yeah. and then you have no idea how many you have. <laughs> All right. Uh, so thank you to everybody who sent in fish mail. If you have questions, send them to at mtggoldfish with the hashtag mtgfishmails, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I believe that brings us to the end of episode 372 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, Krim, thanks for hanging out. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Card Conduit for supporting the show. And we will be back next week to talk about the economy stream. Probably. Alchemy spoilers and whatever else goes on in the world of magic. So, until then, have a spectacular week, everyone. And this is a crew signing out.